0: This program is sponsored by Amplified Peace.
1: Our guest today is Carolyn Wu. And as you'll hear, she's incredibly accomplished. And yet, with all of those accomplishments, she had very humble beginnings. And she'll share about the women who inspired her and how how those early experiences really influenced her current international work. A little bit about Carolyn and her work. She's the president and CEO of Catholic Relief Services. CRS, the official humanitarian agency of the Catholic community in the United States. She came to CRS after a distinguished academic career at her alma mater, Purdue University, as well as the University of Notre Dame, where she served as the business school dean. She was the first female dean to chair AACSB International and directed its initiative for peace through commerce. She was also featured in Foreign Policy magazine as one of the 500 most powerful people on the planet. So let's listen in to Carolyn Wu and Lisa Jernigan. You know, we've just been
2: celebrating Women's History Month, the month of March, and honoring the contributions of women around the world and just commemorating the amazing strides that we're making toward gender equality. And we recently celebrated International Women's Day on March 8th, just to honor all women. So in light of that, and in view of that, kind of we're sitting in that space right now. I'm really excited to have our guest, Carolyn Wu. So Carolyn, I just want to welcome you to our Amplify Peace, Creating a Better Story podcast. And just so grateful to have your voice. And I can't wait to learn from you and hear more of your stories. So thank you.
3: Well, Lisa, thank you very much for this privilege, for a chance to tell our stories. You know, we come to life and whenever we tell our stories, So my story began, I was born and raised in Hong Kong uh, in the mid-50s. It was about 10 years after World War II. I was the fifth out of six children in my family. So the women in my family, my mother and my aunts, for example, they were very much affected by World War II. They went through it. Uh, Neither of them finished uh, grade school. Their uh, education was interrupted, so I was actually raised by women uh, who did not have formal education, who was displaced uh, from their home in China to Hong Kong, from a Chinese-speaking country to English as the official language, which they didn't know. Uh, they have no formal jobs. You know, they were mothers and wives. They have no formal power. They have no resources. It's a Chinese culture where wives are just put on an allowance. Um, I also had a nanny. It's not uncommon to have a nanny in those days. And I became very close to my nanny. And she was actually sold as a servant girl when she was nine years old in China. Because her father died of TB. Uh, Her mother had three other children. She was the oldest. So it's also that practice of girls being sold, which still happens across the world. And so she was sold when she was nine years old, but she was one of the most beautiful and very intelligent and very brave woman. Um, You know, during the war, she had lived in Vietnam. Uh, She always was on her own making a living and she would send all her money home. And then on the flip side, I was educated by uh, missionary sisters from the United States, the Maranau sisters. And they had so much attitude. Um, they actually gave me a very healthy sense of what women can do. Uh, because they went to Hong Kong, they were kicked out of China too and started all over again. They started schools. They started social service centers and hospitals. Uh, they, uh, I remember we had a lot of fundraisers. Because whenever they started a project, they would need to collect the seed money so that they could apply for a grant from the Hong Kong government. But they always started with nothing. So I remember one time when they gave up public transportation and they took their money and, you know, that bus money, taxi money, you know, we have ferry boats. And they um, used that money as the seed money. And, of course, we as little girls, we have these raffles and we sell. So, various type of things. So that was the environment that I was brought up in. I was the fourth of four daughters. Um, There were two sons. And in fact, my parents needed to have two sons. They wanted an heir and a spare. It's just that my younger brother was number six. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't be here. My two brothers were destined to be a doctor and a lawyer, which they became. And my sisters never finished. Uh, They finished high school, but they never went to college. I was the only one who went to college. So that really was my formation background. Uh, The Western influence from the American nuns, the Chinese influence from my aunt, my mom, my nanny, uh, all without formal education or formal power, but always got things done. So the mothers were the one who somehow with the, you know, limited allowance, they would be able to cover extra school expenses. Um, down the road, they actually were able to find tuition uh, to help their children go overseas for education. Uh, they were able to help each other uh, and they were very creative. There were creative ways. And in fact, some of those ways that I saw them do eventually I saw in my international development work. Like, how do you, how do women come together to form? saving circles and i saw that you know in different parts of the world so at least i would say my background particularly related to women uh was not women of power but women of tremendous resourcefulness and people who executed women who executed their responsibilities somehow
2: mm-hmm. so
3: let me just stop there because you know much later on and but i came to a conclusion that i would never be helpless I would never depend on a husband. Um, I would be an equal partner uh, in my marriage. Um, And that I would have education because education is the way that you could guarantee you could stand on your own. So I did, I did not want to be helpless, but I did understand sort of how women, uh, you know, come in a loving way, taking care of their family when they have very little.
2: You just, you just painted the picture of a very beautiful tapestry woven together with all these um, beautiful voices of women and women in your life um, and for many different reasons uh, and playing different roles. And you know what, a couple of things I just heard from you that were really beautiful, the resiliency of women and the resourcefulness of women. Absolutely. Um, coming together in community and, and what we can accomplish together. And when we don't put limits on ourselves, allow our circumstances to dictate what we can or can't do. And these women didn't have a choice.
3: Yeah. You know, they were, they had to care for their children. They had big dreams for their children and they had to make a, make it happen somehow. Uh, So given my uh, childhood experience with these women, When I joined Catholic Relief Services and started working overseas in very poor countries with very poor populations, um, we worked a lot with women. And just two stories. In Afghanistan, we had training for women in terms of how they could start small businesses, you know, pretty much home businesses. And they were formed in groups. They were given training. So there was a group of women and their business was to uh, bake cookies, Afghan cookies, which had a lot of butter in it. It was delicious. And the group of women, you know, they went through training and they were given up, they were given some working capital to start their business. And it was about three months worth of supplies. Uh, They were, uh, they had capital to build an oven, you know, just so that they could bake. And they had inventory of sugar and butter and flavoring and so on and this would last them three months well they sold their their inventory they used up all of their inventory in one month and the reason for that was their cookies were very very successful they sold these to the afghan police and it's like policemen everywhere they like donuts right i mean that's right. a <laughs> sort of stereotype well it's true And they were so successful, they said, we actually think we could use another stove. We now have the cash and so on. We want training to know how we could scale up. And the leader of the group was breastfeeding a baby when we were meeting. And I said, is this your only child? And she said, no, my other one died because we didn't have enough to feed the baby. She Mm. didn't have of milk, and so she lost a child, basically to deprivation, and now she was able to run a business that was so successful, and that her child could also flourish and These women were were really tough because they had to do their housework, they cannot abandon their housework and go run this business, and their housework included, of course, taking care of their home and making sure that their husbands are well fed. They were the ones who go up into the mountains to collect wood and twigs and branches for the winter so that they would have fuel. And then after they did all that work, that's when they attend to their business. So that's just one example. And it's not anything extraordinary. And it is because if you've been in a situation where you wanted something really badly, and in these cases, they all wanted their children to be nourished and that the particular girls can go to school. Mm. And that's where the motivation is. It drives them to work hard. It drives them to learn. Some of them were not literate. They really didn't have a lot of schooling. So actually, the training included numeracy, helping them how to count, because you can't really go into business if you can't count and if you can't manage
2: money. So it took a lot, but they had it. And they had each other and it was this community other. That's right. Yeah. Those are just beautiful stories that, you know, we don't even can't even really comprehend so much. Cause we are sitting in a place where we have all the conveniences basically around us. And that's why, you know, when, when um, get an opportunity to travel and you get to experience life through a different lens, it's really powerful. It's disrupting and it's powerful. And it's um, just to see just the strength and women, It's an encouragement for all women to see that we have that in us and to see how people use that. Um, I'm going to ask you a question because you're kind of alluding to it a little bit. But a few years ago, I I led a group of women um, in the Holy Land. And what we would do is we'd go to places in Israel and Palestine, and we'd go to some of the biblical sites where women had... Were predominant in those places. You know the Annapolis, the women at the well, and you know the the Church of the Nativity, and talked about marrying these different women. But then we'd also meet with women today in those same areas to hear their story. So it's like you know we're we're connected through the generations, and you even alluded to this with with these mothers because of their children. We're highly motivated. We we think more generationally, and um and we want to do something for the next generation. So as we connect these generations of women past and present hearing their story one of the places we went was magdala which is on the sea of galilee which as we know is the home to mary magdalene and it's a fantastic find that just opened up you know just a few years ago and as we were sitting there we had we had a guide her name is jennifer i'll never forget her and she was such an incredible storyteller you felt like you were walking in Magdala back in the day that where the way she would describe it and where you're sitting and here's this happened, it happened. And then she started to talk about women and the role of women and the role of Mary Magdalene in, in the life of Jesus and how the women were really were, they, they funded a lot of, of Jesus's ministry and they were with the disciples and just the role of women, um, in, in the Bible. And then she used a phrase that I had never heard and it was called the feminine genius. And I just remember going up to her and going, okay, I've never heard that. I, I need to understand that. Well, then I recently read an article that you wrote, and it was on this very topic, Feminine Genius. And I, I, I had never heard of it, and I've since heard a couple of times. But can you explain and just share with us what that term means to you and writing that article? Because I think some of these stories you're sharing kind of plays into that. Can you just share with us a little bit?
3: Yes, and I'm going to do it through three strands. Uh, I could give you a fairly dry sort of uh, treatise of, you know, how that term is used by our various popes. But I'm going to start off with by examples again. Uh, And these are actually two examples. One is about a group of women, a village in El Salvador, and the women there were very, very poor. And they had little plots of land, but it was totally unproductive. So we worked with them to do water filtration and also access to water, you know, piping and so on. And uh, we had uh, lessons in the type of crops. And now that they had water and they had clean water, they were healthier and they had access to water for their crops. And what type of crops would be cash crops that they could grow to augment uh, their livelihood? They were very poor. So we worked with them. It was very successful. And by the way, they welcomed us to their village. The way they did it was that um, they laid out the red carpet uh, in quotations and their red carpet were pine needles and the pine needles were harvested from the trees. They were very fragrant and they told me they had named themselves intelligence. Hmm. And I said, why? And they said, well, we found out that we could do a lot that We could solve problems um, and that we could learn. Uh, We could make lives better for our children, for ourselves, for our husbands, for our village. And that God gave us this intelligence. Their homes are, of course, very modest. I mean, um, and a lot of it is built with local tree branches, that sort of thing. But inevitably, they always had the Blessed Mother's picture there. But they named themselves intelligence. Another story completely different is I was meeting with women. They were also very poor. If they were not poor, we were not meeting with them. But anyway, this was, I think, in South Africa, um, in those little neighborhoods in South Africa, we were meeting with these women. They didn't have anything. But, you know, they all painted their nails, and they had these type of jewelry, which is, like, made from shiny magazine pages, paper, mm-hmm. basically uh but they were pretty there was such a sense of aesthetics that even though they had nothing um they sought you know some type of aesthetics and decorations for themselves i think both of those illustrate you know this whole feminine genius the second strand i'm going to use is if you think about the questions that were presented to jesus by men versus by women they are different questions you know, we just had in the readings a woman at the well. And when she encountered Jesus, she said, How would you get this water? You don't have a bucket. And this is pretty deep. You know, that's a very specific, you know, question, practical question. Or Mary and Martha, you know, one was doing too much work and the other was not. And the, you know, one sister complained, she's not doing any work to help me. Um, you know. Jesus' mother, the first thing she did was people are running out of wine. You need your help by getting some wine. Um, And, you know, Mary Macklin at the Jesus' grave where she, you know, saw a gardener. She said, did you see the body? You know, what happened to this thing? So the questions that the women raised were very pragmatic and dealt with life. It was not questions to trap Jesus. You know, it was not questions to sort of like debate this versus that, uh, they were very practical questions. So that's the second strand. I want to remind people of those interactions. And of course, Jesus was unusual in his, uh, for his time in how much he engaged these women and lifted them up. And the third one then is uh, from our Holy Fathers. So this was sort of alluded to even by Pope Paul VI, where he said women have done a lot and we need women to go and evangelize. But John Paul II really uh, expanded his thought on feminine genius. And he basically said this emanated from Mary. Mary was the center of a salvific event. And because of what she did, she gave dignity to women. And of course, the whole idea that women can be mothers. Um, she also actually acknowledged. Uh, and people didn't give him credit for this, the contributions of women and how women had left indelible marks in the history of the church by how they served and what they did. And of course, he noted that they were attentive. They were—they had a way, a sweet and tender way of making points. Then we come to um, Pope Francis. Uh, I think that Pope Benedict actually talked a lot about the role of lay people. And he also said that women were not given their due credit and their due roles. And then to Francis, he talked a lot. And actually, his talking changed during the how many years now, 2013, eight years. So at the beginning, he echoed uh, St. John Paul II, and he we said, you know, women have extra intuition, and they are sensitive, and they are caring, and they're compassionate, they have a certain way, which sometimes it actually makes me cringe, because mm-hmm. I think that stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And people who know me would probably say, I don't think I would necessarily use those adjectives with Carolyn. <laughs> um, you know, that particular touch. But if you look at Pope Francis' recent these last 12 months, how he described women. So his book uh, is not uh, Let Us Dream. His book, his most recent book, which was about interviews. He said, you know, we're in COVID. If you look at the women leaders, they were gifts to the world. My God, look at them. They were effective. Uh, They were decisive. They got things done. They were relevant. Uh, they attended to details, they were able to implement, uh, they asked questions that the men didn't even know where these questions were coming from. And now, you know, he has been appointing women, actually, and increasingly so. And so the narrative changed from this extra sort of feminine approach to right. so somehow these women solve problems and get things done. mm mm-hmm. And so I think that for women, the difference is not that men don't have what women have or women don't have what men have. I think that women live in a different world than men. Um, In that world, you know, they don't have power they don't have resources they don't have money they don't have rights to land sometimes they cannot make decision they are often on the receiving end of what other people decide what the village elders decide what their husbands decide if their husband was a gambler you know <laughs> to suffer the consequences or whatever, you know, so they are on the receiving end of a lot of things so they could see what is important, what is not. And if there is a mess, they're usually the ones who clean up the mess. You know, if the children were sick, they were the ones taking care of the children. If the children ate the wrong things, didn't have the right things to eat, they were the ones attending to the problems. So I think that women have a different sense, different understanding of the world. They engage the world in a way that sometimes men do not have to engage. You know, there is a level of details. There's a level of consequences that they don't walk away from. And because they, they have to deal with the consequences, they know what they need. They know what type of problems create these type of consequences. They speak to those issues. And they cannot be theoretical because they don't get the things done You know, there's no food, there's no dinner, there's no whatever, there's no water. If you don't get the water, if your child has diarrhea every day, you see that. So I think women lives in a different reality than men. They have different roles, you know, particularly in dealing with consequences, They have to use different approaches because they have no power. They have to come together as a community because there's nobody else to turn to. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times they pull what they have, P-O-O-L, because that's the only way they could encounter problems and give it resolution. I think that's the feminine genius is to actually to know how life happens and what you need to have that life flourish. And to actually use that to generate results, because they can't walk away from that reality.
2: That was fantastic. I, I just got my mind going at all the different ways of women, and like you said, the roles, and even um, how we identify ourselves and the names we give ourselves. I love you talked about, um, you know, the group of women that called themselves intelligence. It's like, you know, so many times we give labels or we, we create a story about ourselves that's not very uh, positive or supportive. It tears ourselves down. And so what if we rose to that and go, no, I'm intelligence. I can, I am figured this out. I'm strong. I, you know, I am brave. I can figure this out. And just your explanations of women live in a different world than men. That is just, and it again, neither right or wrong. It's just reality. It's just the uh-huh. way it is. And particularly in developing
3: countries, yes, the realities are completely different. But think about those women—the fact that when they welcomed me, they wanted—they use pine needles, you know, because it's soft. It, you know, you know. Otherwise, it's fairly kind of rugged and rocky. But you know, and the grass is a bit worn out. And but the the layer of pine needles—the aroma that comes of it—is a sense of hospitality, hmm. right? That's mm-hmm. another thing, right. Um, You know, and because women have to engage in non-power, but relational interactions, uh, they are much more attuned to the other people because you live with them and you have to get along. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's, you know, there's probably social hierarchy in that system, too. But, you know, the roles and so, so forth are not as well defined. And, you know, you rely on each other in order to make it through.
2: Absolutely. Well, you're talking about like the pine needles. It's, it's the simplest of things. It's like, we think we have to have all this, but you said the red carpet and we go, oh, I literally have to have this red plush expensive carpet. You're like, and it was pine needles. And, you know, and and that is so beautiful because it's so simple and it's what they have. And not only was it hospitality, but they were showing honor, right? Like you matter. I want to provide something for you. This is what we have. And so just so beautiful that how honor and hospitality really do go kind of hand in hand. And we've forgotten that a lot of times. That's part of the feminine genius Mm -hmm. is that they see people,
3: they relate to people, you know, through an acculturation process. So I am a little concerned when people say, oh, women are sensitive and men are not. Well, I've come across a lot of women who are not sensitive and a lot of men who are. So, you know, we have to be careful that we don't stereotype people. But on the other hand, we have to understand when people come from very different situations, they bring very different gifts.
0: This program was sponsored by Amplified Peace